And welcome back to episode four. You're listening to the New Republic podcast, Australia's first podcast dedicated to all things experimentation, personalization, and maybe that kind of ugly word, conversion rate optimization. Uh, I'm Nima, the CEO of uh, New Republic, and I'm going to be your host for today. But more importantly, let me introduce my co-host and our very special guest. So first of all, Jess Vandenbruggen from NIB. Hi. Hey, uh, Richard Taylor, the experimentation evangelist from Optimizely. Rich, say howdy ho. Hello. Hello. And our very special guest, Chris Gower. He's the founder of Wider Funnel, the co-founder of Go Group Digital. And if you haven't read it yet and you're interested in this category, pick up a book, the author of You Should Test That, one of the best-selling books in our category. Welcome, Chris. Say hi. Hey, thank you very much, Nima, for the invitation. Not at all. Lovely having you here. So today's conversation is going to be around a very, I guess, a topical conversation that I've been having with a lot of people around the market, which is what makes a great CRO program? And I think we've got three of the very best in the category to be able to help answer that. Now, one thing, guys, everyone I've been talking to on the street has said, it's really nice to have conversations and hear the top level stuff. We want to know the how. How can I actually do this? So I'm going to probe you today to give me hows as much as possible. So there's three questions I'm gonna throw out to everyone. The first one is gonna be, how do you define a great CRO program? So I thought we reach out into the future and go, well, what's the attributes that makes a great program? And I thought we come back a little bit and say, okay, well, what do you need to create that? So what are the assets you need, the people you need? And then the last one is, in your opinion, what's the attributes that makes a really great CRO practitioner? So three questions, pretty simple. Chris, given that you're our special guest, I'm going to throw it out to you first. How would you define a great uh, experimentation or CRO program? Yeah, good, good question, Nima. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to discussing these three questions with uh, the guests here. This is great. And I, I'm also glad that you started the introduction to the whole uh, session by defining experimentation, personalization, and you know that, that big, ugly conversion optimization term. <laughs> because I think that's where I would start is to think about what does CRO mean to the organization and, and is it the right term? Because the way I look at it, CRO, conversion rate optimization, conversion optimization, whatever you call it, is a very narrow definition for experimentation. You know, CRO traditionally was, cons it came out of the analytics world where there were goals around improving efficiency in, in digital advertising and really just increasing conversion rate on websites. But that's, that's narrow and it started to broaden to, you know, think about, okay, what's beyond conversion rate? Well, you also want to think about average order value and then revenue per visitor or ARPU or, you know, whatever your, your business goals are, but, but really just also shifting away from a metrics focus is really important. And so shifting the mindset from just boosting metrics on, on your website or landing pages to really thinking about what's, is the goal of the program to improve metrics or is it to improve customer experience? Or beyond that, is it to just answering business questions? And I think that shift in mindset is the real first shift in uh, what makes a great program. That's interesting. So thinking of so it as... Can I interrupt yeah. for a sec? Does that mean mm -hmm. if you're saying it's the way you begin, the way you define it is the way the context of the program, right? 
generally mm-hmm. the way some of these programs begin is a, it's one of the people within the organization deciding they want to do it. And so they will term it or they will pick the term that they want to use. How do you, how do you control that bias? How do you ensure that someone is really looking at it more holistically rather than what their KPIs or the problem they're trying to solve is? Does, does that make sense, Chris? Yeah, it does. And, and you know what? We often see that where there's a champion within the organization. It may be uh, an e-commerce manager, marketing manager, analytics manager, director, wherever that they sit. And they become this champion of a new mindset or, or a shift, trying to shift the, the conversation to making decisions based on, on data and insights rather than gut feeling and, you know, the brand beliefs, for example. Um, and, and so it, it's okay to start with a conversion focus or with a, an individual metric focus, but where you evolve the conversation will, will shift uh, what your experimentation goal is. So for example, a, a very mature experimentation program will involve the executive level and their questions are much more on the holistic business perspective, uh, might be product questions or it might be positioning, value proposition, those kind of questions, which then the, the experimentation really just becomes a tool to answer the questions that are relevant to the business. And so the, the senior level might be asking questions that are more about the customer insights and product, and the manager level might still be asking questions about conversion rate and revenue, and that's okay, As it, but if the program is actually more of a, a company-wide initiative or a strategy, then they'll be asking questions that are relevant to their their role throughout the organization using experimentation as the driver. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. I think um, one of uh, my takeouts for a good CRO program is that it does have all of the things that you said. It is about boosting metrics initially, but then it does become about that customer experience. And then that answering business questions is so important as well to kind of bring it forward as a viable option. I think something that stood out to me from one of the earlier podcasts that we've had was Justin uh, from, you know, loans was talking about that on off experimentation experience that he had. And I guess for me, a great CRO program whilst being able to answer all those kind of questions, customer experience initiatives and boosting metrics is that uh, it's a constant. It's a, part of the process it's not just something that we switch on and off it's not another thing on the list that we have to tick off like CRO is quite similar into to CEO uh, SEO sorry in terms of the mindset oh we need to tick this box to be doing CRO or SEO whereas experimentation mindset should be part of the process it should be let's start with figuring out if this works initially versus going off and, you know, building big bang projects. Um, it should be part of the process into how we figure out that where we're spending money as a business is the best place. Yeah, yeah. it's a really good point. You know, I, I uh, sorry to interrupt. I, I mm-hmm. recently had a, a client or prospect come in and, and they were putting out an RFP for a digital transformation project. And so the RFP uh, you're, you have to answer the RFP to to set a price for delivering a digital transformation for them. So yeah, I'd, I'd like you know twelve pints of digital transformation, please. And and, and if you could do that within the next week, that'd be perfect. Yeah, and and did you? Is that how you answered it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, we we have <laughs> that in the back room. Sarcastically. We'll just, uh, we'll just <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. Fantastic. Rich, what, what's your experience? I mean, you've been around the traps for a while. Have you, have you, you shared the same common belief or have you seen something different? Uh, fr from a personal perspective, I think you need metrics. You have to have them. If you can't measure it, then you can't report on it. You can't improve it. And we've seen from an on again, off again experimentation program that if executives don't really understand uh, what the program is for or why it should be always on, then maybe it gets sidelined for something like 12 points of digital transformation. So the, the metrics that you guys were talking about were all what we would term value metrics. So they might be financial like revenue, um, they might be non-financial, but they're, they're really the, the numeric ways of looking at what are we trying to achieve with experimentation. I would say a great CRO program is one that also includes program level metrics. So metrics that are looking at the efficiency and the effectiveness of the experimentation program. So they might be activity-based like velocity. They could cover other areas like um, quality or agility or proficiency uh, and some more sophisticated programs that we've seen globally have shared some of these metrics with us. Uh, so HP was looking at campaign volume. So how many experiments and personalization campaigns they're running and how that impacts the amount of revenue that comes out of those programs. So 2018, they doubled campaign volume and tripled revenue. This year, their goal is to triple campaign volume. So that's yeah. not looking at the individual impact. It's looking at the program itself. We started in a place of that program level metrics of just trying to get uh, experiments out there, get the numbers up so that we are producing enough, getting that cadence happening, that tempo that um, Nima's mentioned before. And now we're kind of hitting the next level of trying to get more of the yeah, value metrics tying into that and having the quality of our experiments increase as we start to bring in other factors of like how it affects the customer experience and some of that qualitative um, feedback from there so that we can kind of have a well-rounded view of at each level we're all doing our job. So the experiment program is uh, running at a nice tempo. We're getting good value from it, but the business can also see that we are boosting those metrics and improving the overall benefits to the business through our experimentation program. And that further investment could potentially further that impact. Correct. So yeah. something StubHub was looking at was, all right, if, if we want to double the impact, do we then need to double the amount of resource that we put into this? So their program metrics were around efficiency. If we can reduce the cost per test, like the amount of labor that actually goes into a test, then we can also increase our velocity with the same amount of resource. So you can actually grow your program without growing any of the resources associated with the program. Yeah, you, you also have to be a little bit careful with some of those because you can end up with some perverse outcomes or metrics that, that kind of could lead the program in the wrong direction. For example, just looking at velocity can get you focused on, on sort of monkey metrics rather than necessarily the business outcome or the value. Um, so for example, we run a lot of the experimentation program for HP and, and there's been a conversation internally there about, okay, we've, we started with optimization and then we've been shifting to experimenting within innovation you know, and, but if, if we just focus on optimization and improving small metrics, we can run a lot of tests on that. But is it really asking the important business questions? Or if we spent a little bit more time and research and then 
ran potentially fewer tests or more focused high value tests on things that really push the product forward, that could take us leaps ahead in terms of the business value. So there, there's both that have to come into play. And I think it's important to, to try to look at a customized evaluation for the program that, that meets the needs of the business at the stage they're at, depending on the business cycle as well. I think the market is very split. I hear this conversation about velocity versus quality. I think you can find both, but I, I do see a very consistent conversation around if we run tests and we have more chance of winning, which I, I fundamentally think the biggest problem I see with CRO programs or, or the way they're set up is people don't start with the mindset that they want to learn because experimentation is about understanding. They start with a mindset of, I want to increase sales or I want to decrease my cost per X. It doesn't really come out to, I want to understand what customers are doing so I can better serve. And if you, if you start the program through a learning lens rather than an outcome lens, then win or fail. Because I think if you always focus on an outcome, you're always looking for a win. And losses seem to be this kind of bad thing, which in experimentation, losses is what gets you to a better win. So I really, I think one thing I would uh, always recommend from a CRO program is, is start with the focus around what is it you're trying to learn? What is it you're trying to do better as a business rather than what is the return that I must get from this? Although it's, it's a necessary evil, I just think it, it frames your mindset and the way you set up your program in a totally different way. How we would like it to be run isn't necessarily um, how businesses enable it to be run. I'm curious, Jess, if you're able to share the questions you get asked or the, the way that you report back on not individual experiments, but the program as a whole. Yeah, so that's been an interesting um, journey <laughs> for that. Um, and as I, as I said, you know, I was very granular in terms of experiment results. Um, so I would be talking about, well, we've had all these wins, we've had all these losses and how much, you know, predicted value they would see for the business. But over the last year or so, we've been really focusing on getting more of those high level metrics involved. So I remember um, we had a bit of a review with our execs and uh, I was saying, oh, you know, we're, we're getting to X number of experiments. And, and he was like, well, what does that do for our, um, you know, our high level sales metrics or our customer attention and things like that? And I was like, oh, well, I haven't really been thinking too much about those high level business metrics as part of the program. So it helped me kind of take a step back and think, well, the, the value that I need to predict is, you know, how much higher revenue are we getting through our experiments? Not just that they got plus sales or whatever. There's, there's more beyond that single experiment view um, in terms of our program level. And so, yeah, trying to look, look up and say, well, what are the health factors for our web channel and how can I change those on more than one level? And I think you've spoken to it in the past as well, Rich, around not just focusing on how I can improve the purchase funnel on the website. It is things outside of that. So uh, in the call center, how that might go down into our leads programs and all that kind of thing that all kind of come to these high level metrics that we're trying to get buy-in from, from the exec. So in summary, we could easily, like one of the most important things that I heard is, is what is the overarching metrics that we need to take account for? So everyone agree that's something that we, you need to have. Absolutely. How you, how you think about experimentation, the premise from which you start is important. 
I think they're the two key takeouts that I got out of this is, and also um, I think Rich, your point around look at the program itself and the metrics around the program as an indicator. I don't think it's one thing or all, all it's how all these little attributes come together to create a, what would we define as a great CRO program. So I think that's a really good lead on into the next bit is around. So one, like I said, everyone's like the how, give me the how. So how would you actually set this up? Is it people? Is it process? Is it the tools or the artifacts that you use? Like where would you begin? And Jess, I want to throw it to you because you started this program at NIB. So where did you begin? Was it people or process or was it tools or you know, how did you start this? So in terms of how we started was that it was uh, from our exec saying, you know, we want to try this out with an agency. Um, and that kind of didn't quite work for us at that time, um, which we've kind of talked to in the past. Um, and I kind of put my hand up and said, uh, let me run with this. I can get the most value out of it because I'm tied to what we're doing internally. And so I think in terms of to create a great CRO program, you do need to start with a champion, as Chris mentioned, as someone who's willing to be accountable for the program and really kind of take it and, and run with it with the business. Be the person who's going to have those annoying conversations with anyone uh, who'll listen to try and get this experimentation mindset embedded within the business and change, shift that mindset from being, a, oh, this is something that I have to do because everybody's talking about CRO to a, this is the value in taking this approach to development and really go from there. Chris, I mean, you're, you're playing in a much bigger market like North America and I'm, I'm super keen to know, you know, what Jess just expressed, is that, is that the same in your market? Is it usually one or uh, is it so mature that they literally go, let's just hire a team and put that team in? Like, what's the differences mm -hmm. there? Is it the similar um, context? Well, yeah, the, the interesting thing is that there's a spectrum of uh, maturity levels, of course. And so we actually have done a lot of research on this in the last few years on what are the uh, characteristics of different levels of maturity in terms of their output from their program. And we found that there's quite a spread and they're really based on five components that they have to have in place in order to have a great program. Or I should say that there's five components that tend to be categorized and, and there's different levels of maturity in each component. And usually there's based on the theory of constraints, uh, which is an old idea from the eighties that, that from manufacturing that actually works really well in, uh, in, in business strategy as well. One of them is a constraint and it's slowing down your ability to produce outcomes. And the five components we found were process, accountability, culture, expertise, and technology. And so usually one of those things is the bottleneck that's stopping them from, from getting to the next level of maturity. Uh, so part of that, for example, in process, they might uh, look at how the organization, how the, the program is structured. Do they have a decentralized experimentation program? Is it centralized? Is there some hybrid of that? Like, do they have a center of excellence um, kind of set up? And, and at different stages, different models work better, more efficiently to produce the outcomes you want. But, but in fact, what we're seeing now is that the most mature organizations don't consider experimentation. They don't even talk about an experimentation program. It's not like something we do as a business. It's just the way we do business. So everybody is experimenting and they're all enabled to do that. <clears throat> Whether that means they have a center of excellence that they tap into for expertise 
or if they're sort of just um, decentralized and they have systems in place to you know ensure that there's control so that things don't break but more and more it's just a, a kind of a business ethos where if you have a feature idea or a question or uh, a campaign well then the next step is to experiment it's not just like oh let's let's talk to the experimentation guys when we want to optimize this no this is just the way we do business and rich last but not least in your, I mean, you guys, you know, you've been central to Australia growing its experimentation program. What, what are you guys finding? Are you, are you, are you seeing the same things or, or do you see, I mean, coming from a technology lens, do you see that tech is one of the most important parts of this and so the starting point of this? Uh, no, I don't think technology is the starting point or the most important point. In fact, I think we spend our Optimizes product team spends a lot of its time trying to make the technology in a way that it just gets out of everybody's way. So you can focus on the much more challenging things like changing the culture inside your organization. Um, but you were, the question was posed as what do you need to create a great CRO program and tools is one of those um, elements. Something though that I think gets missed is uh, the tool is not necessarily, okay, I have something like Optimizely to be able to execute an experiment. I'd like to highlight something that we saw from uh, our research, which is around the tools that you will need or could potentially use to accelerate the ideation and the prioritization process of CRO. Uh, and that's analytics and heat maps. So this study that I've referred to a couple of times, the one where we looked at a quarter of a million variations, it showed that organizations that were using analytics had a 32% greater likelihood of finding winners. And if you were using analytics and heat maps, you had a 44% greater likelihood of finding winners. So just having that, that technology before you're going into experimentation, I think means that you really are using it as a tool to solve problems um, or answer questions that are coming up rather than just ticking the box on doing conversion rate optimization. Yeah, interesting. Hey, um, that, that research, can, uh, can anyone access that or should they get in contact and you can give it to them? I actually don't know the answer to that question. Well, you can definitely <laughs> get in contact. Whether it's shareable, uh, I'll find out and we can post it in the... Fair enough. And Chris, your research, would you be open to sharing that with our community? Yeah, happy to. Thank yeah, you. We That'd just actually did an updated uh, version of the research uh, that we released uh, I guess three or four weeks ago. So I can got it. And you can find it on widerfunnel.com, right? It's there. Yeah. Okay. Great. Fantastic. Okay. Well, so just, um, given time, let's move on to our next question. Actually, I want to go back if I can, before I do that, how many of you have been involved in setting KPIs for the people who are going to run, be part of the experimentation team? Like, do you find that that's something you do? Cause in my opinion, it's one thing that's really lacking within organizations that start an experimentation program is they borrow individuals and those individuals aren't KPI'd around some of the metrics that you need for a program, like Rich was saying, the program metrics. And so as a result, they're doing a job, but they're not driven to, there's no like direct correlation back to their own performance. So how many times have you found that you are helping define what the KPIs of, of I guess, the people running the program is? I have a dedicated team, so I definitely do set KPIs. Was that from day one, Jess? Like from day one, you sat down and wrote, wrote out those KPIs or was that something that you evolved into? Well, initially I didn't have a team. It was just me. me and yeah. I pretty much did set my own KPIs for that. Um, yep. Basically, I'm driven by that. So uh, I think setting KPIs is important, even if it is as simple as let's get 
10 experiments out for the year, you know, it's yep. better than last year. Um, and that's kind of something that I kind of continually say is just get started and get a number that you can just kind of try and get some experiments on the board. Did that um, shift over time, Jess? Like when you rewrote your KPIs, did you find you moved away from program-based metrics to organization-based metrics? Yeah, and so as my team gets bigger as well, we're very much focused on the quality of experiments that we're getting out. The fact that they are bought in with the analytics and heat maps, as you said, Richard, any type of that qual data that we can get to start validating those ideas. And so yeah. those kind of KPIs are going to become more and more prominent for us um, as we grow. Where's qualitative research in your program? Do you guys use any qualitative research? Yes. We do. Um, I am like, is this me? You're still talking to me? Uh, yeah. So we do use tools like uh, Hotjar and things like that. I don't think we use it as as uh, strongly as we should, and that's something that I kind of have set as a, a KPI of my own uh, for the next uh, year or so to kind of bring that into the spotlight a bit more. I think that's really missing in this category. I think everyone is so data led that they're not they're not looking and asking questions of users and they're not studying that qualitative research, which I just think is so powerful. I think we're so awash by a sea of data that we kind of forget to the power of observational data is so unique and it's so different. And you never, you know, you can't get that stuff out of analytics. You have to know what you're looking for in analytics to get it out of that data lake. But that kind of observational data is so missed in this category. We're lucky enough to have a great design research team that we have that goes out and gets a bit more of that customer-led interviews and things like that that bring in some great insights for us from a web perspective that we might kind of come off the back of it with some experiments. But I don't think it's truly embedded in our experimentation program as well as it could be. I think very few organisations have that. Chris, is that in, I mean, is it a, immaturity of our market or is that is that common in North America as well that you know that qualitative observational data is not really used within your category well I, yeah I mean I'd, I'd agree with Jessica and Richard as, and as well that that those are important to creating a, a, a more rich picture of your customer and it, it goes along I think with the maturity of the program so usually when companies get started with experimentation they, they look for an a b testing tool or they might look for personalization and they just want to run experiments and you know improve conversion rates and then when they get a little bit more mature they realize they actually need to to get that more rich rich information so they'll they'll go to you know heat maps or scroll maps and those kind of things and then start to look at uh, session recordings like you know a quantum metric or a full story we'll start to to dig into and that gives them that kind of a more visceral picture of what their customers are going through and then yeah. they might get into really understanding the data and, and disparate data sources and try to find ways to connect that data and, and create a more holistic picture from a data perspective that can marry with the, yeah. the uh, qualitative side. Yeah. So kind of, it's just an, an increasing, you know, maturity of what kind of information do we need to create a more rich picture of, you know, the, the, the insights that lead us to our customer mindset. Yeah. Interesting. All right, this is a great time to do our little breakaway now. We're halfway through. So we're going to have a little break and come back. And I'm going to ask the guys a quick question around, if you could take what you're doing and spit on a dime, what would you do differently? What would totally catapult your experience, your current program into a whole new dimension, given your learnings? Okay, talk to you in a sec. 
and we're back. So if you missed it, I'm going to ask the guys to give me their thoughts around take your current program. And if you could take a couple of experiences you've had and you could change your program entirely, what would you do and why would you do it? So Jess, what would you do? Uh, and how would you spin it on a dime and blow it up given the learnings that you've got? Every experiment would have been validated using both quant and qual data as a start. I think that would have put us in a better position sooner uh, for building up the experimentation mindset within the business. And then second to that is having a learnings hub from the get-go. So someplace that I am putting every experiment learning that we've ever had accessible for anyone in the business to use in the decisions that they're making across. Got it. Like a program management tool, right? Yes, kind of Got like it. that. Okay, cool. Chris, care to answer this one? Uh, it's a good question. I, you know, it's, it's funny. I think my answer would be similar to Jessica's in that it took me a couple of years to realize the value of qualitative information. I really started, you know, when I wrote, you should test that. It was all about trying to change the way digital agencies approached creating websites and marketing campaigns. And so, you know, being so focused on kind of being the anti-agency, so to speak, and they were all doing focus groups and all of that stuff, but I thought they just didn't really understand how to validate insights and really look at data that I kind of discounted for, for longer than necessary, the insights that can come out of that. And since then, now, now that we've built out a behavioral science department and this, these services like Motivation Lab that really dig into the, the intrinsic motivators, I realized uh, over the last few years the power of that and how much being customer obsessed in terms of their mindset really changes the perspective on on experimentation yeah that's interesting and rich last but not least i have noticed um at the beginning you asked what, what are the attributes of a, a great cro practitioner and yep. i was really putting a lot of thought into that and realized that there is no really predefined role of what a cro practitioner is more often than not what we find is that someone took this on as just part of their other role their real role and then because there was so much value being seen from it, it then transformed into their actual role and then it grows out from there. Yeah. Uh, and Jess, I think if, if I'm not wrong, that that happened to you, that you were doing something different at NIB and then took on optimization and now have an optimization team. So if, Absolutely. I've, got, if I've got that correct, what I'm hoping actually to learn is what was it that meant the business went, hold on, there's something really valuable here. We should invest Jess in this. And now we should give her more resources. What was that? Because if we know that, then all of our listeners would be able to maybe start their programs with that in mind. That's interesting. I think indirectly, Rich just answered by asking you to answer for him. Good move, Rich. Yeah, he's <laughs> deflected the question to me, yeah, yeah. Um, which is fantastic. Uh, luckily, here's something I prepared earlier. No. Uh, uh, so I guess for me, the consistency of communication has been epic in getting the business on board. Uh, I have been at exec level, head of level, developers, UX, just pushing out what the experimentation program has been doing. And yes, we still have it as its own experimentation program. It's not embedded within the delivery teams just yet, um, but it's something that we are working on 
I think that aspect as well as I guess one of the biggest challenges that I had in taking this on was to start becoming less subjective to the experiment. So this has been led from, I guess, me being very passionate about improving our on-site conversion to take a step back and say, well, let's trust in this process. And it is a process. Trust in the results, trust in the experimentation mindset to solve the problems. Don't have to get so subjective and believe that something is going to be a winner. And I think that has allowed me to open up to the business and say, I want to take all of your ideas, all of the little niggles, the business questions that you might have and try and validate and put some meaning behind whether it's something we should explore further. Nice answer. I think if I, if I had to contribute mine, I think the thing that I would turn on a dime is creating better communications uh, across the business around the experimentation program. I think Jess, you nailed it. I think that's the bit for me that from all the programs that we've been running, it's that that component around other people being informed and aware of what's happening and how you bring those people into the experimentation program. That's what I think that if I could go back and, you know, flip one, one thing and everything would just, you know, hum in a different way, it'd probably be that. Everything else is kind of inconsequential. If people don't know what you're doing and the outcome you're getting, it kind of lives in this bubble of its own. So I think that kind of leads us to the next bit. And uh, Rich, I think you already touched on it, but I'd be curious to hear Jess's and, and Chris's point of view. I know a lot of people have talked to me about, you know, we're, we're going to get serious with our program. We're going to hire someone to be, you know, our in-house CRO practitioner, you know, and they say to me, well, you, you know, you hire people like this. So, so what, you know, who should they be? Like what role would they come from and what should they know? What should their past experience be? And, and you know, what are the, the kind of KPIs I should give them. So I'm, I'm really keen to hear from you guys around, you know, what does that, what does that practitioner look like? What would you advise people who ask me this? Chris, why don't we start with you and then Jess, let's go to you afterwards. I found it interesting, uh, Richard and Jessica, you, you hit it totally on the head here that CRO champions or experimentation practitioners don't come from CRO originally because it's, it's too new for that to, to be common. And, and it's probably better that they don't anyway, that, that they have a, an understanding of the product or the customer that they just layer this onto. But it's, it's some champion that really sort of gets the religion of experimentation and, and becomes the champion to change the culture using the background that they have that tends to work really well. We've seen this so many times with our clients who become the experimentation champions. And because that everything they bring forward now has metrics attached to it and they're they're basically riding the wave of this trend towards customer obsessed mindset using insight driven data it's a massive benefit to their career and their career takes off because of this they're really changing the organization for good and for their customers good so essentially that the, the outcome for a champion becoming this role in their organization is is an, a benefit to them and then also on the same topic to answer your question there isn't one specific place that they come from because I think once someone has this mantle of the champion or takes this on and starts to drive it, they use the knowledge they have. And then as any good executive or intrapreneur, they fill the gaps that they have with other team members so they can rally other people or hire other people or bring in 
agencies to whatever, whatever form it takes to fill those gaps. So I look more when I'm building my experimentation team here for the attributes and attitudes rather than just the skills, you know, cause I can mold and train, but uh, it's hard to change attitude and aptitude. Um, so I look for things I, like curiosity, humility, intelligence, empathy, you know, grit, integrity, those kind of things. Right. I absolutely agree with you there, Chris. I've been writing down some notes around the types of attributes that I think your CRO champion should have, and they are definitely more so an energy um, that a person has than actual skill level um, or like, you know, technology expertise or anything like that, because that can come. I think person who lives to learn is important, that's eager to kind of find out why something works and why it doesn't. Someone that wants to challenge that status quo and think about different ways in which we can understand what might work better. And a real problem solver, I think, is pretty much my job every day is to kind of what is the problem and how many different ways might we try and solve it. And lastly, I guess this is a, a yes man, um, I think, is important as well. So being able to say yes to the business when they come, come with different ideas um, and transform, the, transform those ideas into something meaningful that can be a part of the value delivering with your experiment program. So they kind of feel a part of the journey because that's also one of the important things that I haven't really touched on um, when I'm talking about consistent communications. It's also bringing people to be a part of the optimization journey that you're having. Agreed. Rich? Uh, yeah, I, I really liked, Chris, when you mentioned humility. I'd, I'd written down a, a willingness to learn from your customers and more so be proven wrong. Uh, I, I think that attitude is incredibly important. And one that wasn't, uh, or, or I might have missed it, mentioned was I, I've written it as resourcefulness. Absolutely. <laughs> no one staffs this function like I wish that they would. So being able to beg, borrow and steal the necessary time and resources is going to be really important. And I'd also add... Uh, I think that uh, there's a difference between a CRO practitioner and the CRO champion. So, you know, what we've found, and actually we've done quite a bit of research or, uh, on this in the last couple quarters, is looking for the profile of the ideal champion, <laughs> because these are the people we're looking for in these organizations. And, and we've come to these characteristics, and, and I've defined them as the entrepreneur. They're the people within the organization who are, are willing to take the responsibility in charge of a risky initiative within the, the, the company to, to create this change. And it, it takes a little bit of personal risk, but they usually have the credibility within the organization to do that and the persistence and the enthusiasm to push something forward. Mm -hmm. They may be different than the actual experimentation uh, expert like, or the, the practitioner who might have you know, a UX background or might have a data background or some blend of, of different things, but they might not necessarily be the champion. So both are needed. Yeah, right. Interesting. And, and you're right, because, you know, I know Jess and I and yourself, Chris, and, and I think Rich yourself, we've all talked about how communicating to the business is such a critical thing to be able to bring people on the journey. So I, I think one, one thing that stood out for me is, is find someone who 
comes from internal in the business because they obviously know the people, they understand the politics and the structures of the organizations, they understand limitations. So to be able to bring others on that journey is a little bit easier than someone who's new and trying to find their feet. The one thing I heard from everyone is attitude over aptitude. You can learn the, the practicals of how to run an experiment, but if you don't have the right attitude, you might give up too quickly or you might gloss over the right information just to do something so you can tick a box. Does everyone agree with that? Attitude over aptitude? 100%. Okay. Yeah. I, I know when, I mean, from our side, you know, we're always testing around what makes a really good practitioner. And, you know, it's only recently that, you know, we looked for UXs that we brought in and everybody had a certain bias. And so what we, like you guys, we started looking for attitudes, the way someone goes about solving a problem, the, the kinds of questions people ask, uh, we use those as indicators of this person would be, you know, good for uh, experimentation. And then we teach them experimentation, how to design a test and how, what qualifies as a good experiment over another. But I, I haven't, I personally have not found someone who sits across from me and they say, I've been doing this for a long time that they are really good at it. Generally what I find is they're the only person within the organization doing it. So their baseline or their benchmark is themselves. And so as a result, they can't go past that and, because experimentation is quite new in this market, generally it's a one-man band in most organizations that then shares resources. So that person really isn't being challenged beyond what they think or what they've read or what they know. So I guess to anyone listening and they're looking at, you know, who do I hire? I think everyone resoundingly is saying, find someone internally, as Chris says, the entrepreneur internally, look for the right attitude. And most importantly, focus on someone who can actually tell the story and bring the rest of the organization on a journey. So with that, I'm going to call time. We're just wrap, We're just on time. So I just want to say big thanks. Uh, Chris, I know you're up, you're staying back for this. So thank you so much for being a part of, uh, of our uh, episode four. Yeah. Thank you. Jess, Rich, uh, as always, thanks for joining me, Jess. Great to have you back. I know you've been uh, around the world and sick. So welcome back and glad to hear you're feeling better. Thanks. Good and, to be back. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And just remember if you got any comments or you want to feedback on something you've heard today, something controversial that someone said, or you want to input into the next one, please email us at hello at neurorepublic.com.au. Now remember the Republic is the French spelling with an I-Q-U-E. So look forward to getting your email. And uh, we'll catch you all for episode number five. My name is Nima. See of New Republic. You can listen to us across Spotify and iTunes. Thanks for joining us and see you next month.